The stones cry out, the geology and fossil record of Noah's great flood by Pastor Reed Benson. Jesus told his critics that if his followers would not defend his reputation, the stones would immediately cry out to uphold God's honor from Luke chapter 19 verse 40. Indeed, that is what we need in our time. As people hostile to God and the Bible are more vocal than ever, but in point of fact, the stones really do cry out and have been calling out to us for centuries. If only we would look and listen to what they have to say. The rocks have a story to tell, and their testimony is literally right under our feet. All we need to do is pause, examine them with a heart that is open toward our Creator, and allow the rocks to give the information that points us to the majesty and power of God. Few biblical stories capture our imaginations as much as Noah's flood recorded in Genesis chapters 6 through 8. If you're a true believer in the Bible, however, you know that this is not merely a tale, but true history, a record of fact. There was a terrible flood, one so massive that it destroyed all breathing life on earth, with the exception of the creatures on the ark. Such a terrifying catastrophe is mystifying, breathtaking to contemplate. Imagine how angry God must have been at the wickedness that stalked the earth. Yet, scoffers abound. Not only do atheists, agnostics, and evolutionists deny the idea of a global flood, but so also do many who claim to believe what the Bible states. Such minds work hard to rewrite scripture in a manner that reduces the terrible flood of Genesis to something regional or local in its scope and nature. Many facets of the Genesis flood are worthy of exploration and study. This short essay addresses only one aspect of this massive event, the geology. Even then, this article is a mere summary of the broad facts involved with the record of the rocks and their reflection of the Earth's history and the particulars of Noah's flood. Fossils and rocks tell us a story, one that is entirely consistent with the record in Genesis. I am indebted to the work and scholarship of several writers, one of whom I must mention at the outset, Dr. Timothy Clary, his book, Carved in Stone, Geological Evidence of the Worldwide Flood, is an outstanding resource for those interested in this topic. Beginning with the basics of fossils. What are fossils? They are remains of creatures that were buried at or immediately following death, such that ordinary decomposition was not possible. The hard parts of the body mineralized, thus creating a fossil. Are there fossils still forming today? With only rare exceptions, no. Ordinary circumstances of death do not produce any fossils. When an animal dies, other creatures usually eat it rapidly. If it is not consumed, it will decay within a matter of days. Under what conditions do fossils form? A creature must be buried deeply too deep for oxygen and decomposing bacteria to access the body. The most common manner for a fossil to form is when a flood of muddy water buries a creature under many feet of muck. 
the animal literally must be buried alive in mud. The sediment lithifies, or turns to rock, within a matter of days, and slowly the bony hard parts of the body mineralize, creating a fossil. The entire process can occur remarkably fast, even within a matter of several decades. It doesn't take vast quantities of time, merely the right conditions. Are there many fossils? Billions of fossils exist of great variety. Everywhere you find sedimentary rock, rock layers formed from sediments of water, you will find fossils. But like many discipline areas of study, the vast array of fossils must be properly interpreted with the right presuppositions in place. The Claim of Evolutionists Evolutionary theory states that the fossil record shows that simple life forms are in deeper rock strata, while complex life forms are in shallow rock strata. Since deeper rock strata are older than the ones that lie on top, this shows that life evolved from simple to complex. It is claimed that fossils thus prove evolution. Remember that this simple idea is fundamental to the theory of evolution. They assume that it took hundreds of millions of years for these rock strata to form. This vast time is absolutely necessary for them to posit evolution. Even evolutionists acknowledge that mutation and natural selection work so slowly that we cannot observe it in our lifetimes. Therefore, assuming a deep time is a requirement for their theory. Multiple problems exist with their evolutionary model, including the false assumptions about estimating the age of rock strata using radioactive dating methods. But that's another topic. The reality of the fossil record. The fossil record in the rocks is much more confusing than simple at the bottom and complex at the top. First, there is no such thing as a simple life form. Even one-celled bacteria are exceptionally complicated. Second, the fossils at the bottom appear without precursors. This is called the Cambrian explosion. Such a term is rather misleading. Evolutionists use it to indicate that life suddenly appeared to explode on the scene without hint of arrival. At any rate, these fossilized creatures that are found in the lowest rock layers are not simple. However, there are real patterns that we can observe in the fossil record. What are these patterns? The pattern that can be seen in many places around the Earth is sometimes called the geologic column. In actuality, any given location has its own geologic column. But if they are all collated together to form a collage, that is supposed to reflect Earth's history from the bottom layer to the top layer of rock strata, a generalized pattern does exist. So, what is it? Is it possible to summarize? Yes. Rather than saying that simple, fossilized life forms are on the bottom, and complex, fossilized creatures are on the top, a better way to describe it is this shorthand description. Small marine animals are at the bottom, the kind that creep around on the bottom of the ocean, and larger marine animals 
are a little higher up. Fish, sharks, and such that swim near the top of the oceans. Reptiles and dinosaurs are in the middle, and mammals are at the top. Of course, there is a little more to it than that, but in short, let us recap. Little sea creatures at the bottom, large sea creatures on top of them, then dinosaurs, and finally at the top of the heap are mammals. None of these animals are simple. All are complicated in their own way. So, how can the geologic column, this generalized record of fossils found in rock strata, be explained? How did these creatures get buried and fossilized in such a manner? Noah's global flood as an explanation of the fossil record. The Genesis flood does more with the geologic column than evolutionists ever could. Few evolutionists have examined the record of Genesis seeking the kind of detail that can reveal important clues. Rather, they glibly dismiss the Bible as myths and fairy tales. Fortunately, there are a few skilled geologists and paleontologists who are examining both scripture and the record of the rocks and fossils with fresh insight. The following is a summary of their findings. Noah's 370-day global flood was really a six-phase event of extraordinary geologic and watery violence. It was like six floods in one. Each phase shows the geologic action that was furiously reshaping the surface of the earth. Much of the geologic action was the result of tectonic plates subducting on the floors of the oceans. That is, the ocean floor was being ripped apart, allowing molten magma to emerge from the deep within the mantle. Each phase produced oceanic earthquakes and continuous, enormous tidal waves that turned up the oceans into vast, muddy bodies of water that ultimately rose higher and higher until the land masses were inundated. This repeated pattern laid down sediments that later lithified into rock. The pattern was sandstone, then shale on top of the sandstone, and then limestone on top of the shale. Repeated six times, this pattern of sandstone, shale, limestone is known today as the six mega-sequences. Each of the six mega-sequences has a name and contains certain types of fossils. A vertical graveyard and record of death. The geologic column is not a record of evolution. It is not the story of how life began simply and developed slowly into more complex life forms. Rather, the geologic column is a record of death. It is a vertical graveyard, a cemetery in which one broad category of creatures was buried alive, and then another type of life form was buried alive above them in the next strata of muddy sediment. This continued again and again. A general type of living creatures was overwhelmed by the roaring muddy waves and rapidly buried in muck. In time, the sediment lithified and the dead bodies were fossilized. Thus, one layer upon the next, the geologic column formed as the weeks passed and Noah's great flood advanced over the entire surface of the planet. The geological column 
does not show that evolution is true, thus disproving God's existence. Indeed, it is just the opposite. The geologic column is a gruesome tally of death that not only proves that God exists, but that he is able and willing to destroy that which angers him. Again, for emphasis, the famed geologic column is not a record of evolving life. It is a vertical graveyard, a record of violent death that God imposed on a wicked and sinful world. A brief look at the six mega sequences. Each mega sequence is structured around a familiar pattern. Sandstone is the first sediment that settles out of the muddy water, large sand particles, then shale, smaller silt particles, and then limestone, fine calcium carbonate material. Each mega sequence is a record of one of the phases of the Genesis flood, and furthermore contains a certain type of fossilized creature that was buried alive in the muddy waters. Note the name of the mega sequences, as they come from oil geologists and are associated with locations where they were observed in the last century. The names have nothing to do with either evolutionary geology or the Bible. The first mega sequence, Sauk. This occurred within the first 40 days of the flood, probably the first several weeks. This could be called the deep sea floor subduction phase. It is characterized by tectonic plates at the bottom of the ocean beginning to sink into the mantle, which produces tremendous sub-oceanic earthquakes and tidal waves. The oceans are churning and becoming muddy, burying marine creatures. Many small marine fossils have their origin at this moment. On land, the rain is falling. From the point of view of people, the seething and swirling of the oceans is concerning. The earthquake's frightening, and the heavy rain is worrisome. Yet, few people are at high risk in this early phase. The second mega sequence, Tippecanoe. This phase is also within the first 40 days of the flood, known as the shallow seas subduction phase. The source of sub-oceanic earthquakes moves closer to the land. No longer is the subduction confined to the deep oceans far from land masses, but now it is occurring in shallow, offshore gulfs and bays. The tidal waves are larger and more violent. Larger marine creatures and fish that live in shallow waters are being buried in the agitated, muddy water, thus beginning the formation of fossils. On land, the incessant rain is producing extraordinary flooding in river basins. Plainly, a never-before-seen crisis is developing. Still, while the destruction of homes and property is expanding, relatively few people have been killed. The third mega-sequence, Kaskaskia. The end of the first 40 days of the flood brings us to the coastline flood phase. It is at this time that the ark floats and begins drifting. While the intense rain stops, the flood is far from over. Indeed, it is just getting started. A new and fearful feature of this global cataclysm is beginning. The subsiding of the land masses. That is, 
While the earthquakes that produce titanic, muddy tidal waves continue, the land starts to sink. Massive waves erode and flood all the coastline areas. Most of the fossils that form are marine, but some slow-moving land animals are buried in the massive, muddy waves that pound the coastlines. Regarding the human element, towns and cities are now being completely abandoned as panicked people seek higher ground. The fourth mega-sequence, Absaroka. The next phase follows quickly on the heels of the last, and will extend from approximately day 41 to day 100, known as the Continental Inundation Phase. Plains, fields, and forest lands are flooded. From the point of view of people desperately fleeing, the water is rising, and every violent, murky wave seems to rise higher and extend further inland than the last. But in reality, the land is steadily sinking. Earthquakes and occasional volcanic activity accompany this subsidence, spewing ash and darkening the skies. Not only are people on the move, but also vast herds of terrified animals are rushing pell-mell in their own desperate attempt to escape the rising waters. Nimble or intelligent animals, such as cattle, deer, antelope, rats, rabbits, cats, dogs, coyotes, raccoons, bears, elephants, horses, and most mammals are able to delay their destruction as they find higher ground. Dinosaurs, reptiles, and other ponderous or intellectually dull creatures are too slow in their escape. The ongoing massive muddy waves overtake them, burying them in the muck. These creatures become the fossils associated with this phase. The fifth mega-sequence, Zuni. The end of all life draws near as the fifth phase approaches. The time frame is approximately from day 100 to day 150, called the absolute death phase. Water levels reach their highest mark. While we do not know how high in altitude the loftiest hills may have been before the flood of Genesis, Thoughtful estimates range from 3,000 to 5,000 feet above the pre-flood sea level. Whatever they were, these mounts were not high enough to preserve life. The tumultuous, murky tidal waves continue to be driven by underwater earthquakes as oceanic subduction does not cease. Meanwhile, the continents sink further. Gradually, the last high hills are in danger of being engulfed. Clinging to their slopes under ash-filled skies are pathetic survivors of the brutal competition to claim the high ground. Unimaginable savagery and chaos marks these last outposts of breathing life, as people cling to rocks and trees, right along with lions, apes, and other tough creatures. Alas, it is all for naught, for within a few days, all life is swept away. Most likely, ragged bands of people were the last life forms on planet Earth to drown in the swirling, muddy, filthy waters that tore them from their final perch. The sixth mega sequence, Tejas. 
We do not know how deep the water was, except that scripture tells us it was at least 15 cubits, about 25 feet above the highest hill. It is safe to assume the depth of this watery world varied considerably, and in some regions, the water was far deeper. The next phase stretched from day 150 to day 223, and is called the receding phase. The oceanic subduction and earthquakes have stopped, thus ending the formerly brutal and continuous tidal waves. A calm overtakes the watery planet, and the oceans start to slowly clear as sediment drops to the bottom of the oceans. But the inactivity is not real, for out of the sight, under the surface of the seas, the land is slowly rising in some places, bit by bit new continents emerge. The ark itself is lifted out of the water and comes to rest on what becomes a high plateau, later called the mountains of Ararat. As land lifts up, the waters flow downhill and collect into the regions that do not rise, but instead continue to sink. These regions, of course, become the new ocean basins. There are some sites where the rushing of the water down into their new oceanic homes is so rapid and violent that giant canyons are gouged out of the fresh sediment, like the Grand Canyon. Other places are the recipients of heavy sediment that remains in place and form deep soil, like the Plain States. Still, other regions are stripped completely of soil, leaving only a surface of bedrock, like the Canadian Shield. A completely new world is produced, with new continents, new ocean basins, new mountain ranges, and what will become new drainage basins that form new rivers. This phase produces some fossils, but perhaps more importantly, it buries large quantities of floating timber and vegetative material that is compressed into coal beds. The violent portions of the Genesis Flood are finally over. Noah and the creatures on the ark emerge. While the flood may be over, it still takes several more months before it is safe for the ark to disgorge its living cargo. From day 224 to day 370, tranquility rules. The land settles and dries, and plant life sprouts. It must have been a tedious wait for the earth to reach a point of stability sufficient to support creatures breathing on their own. What a year it has been. A new world, a fresh start, a regenerated planet awaits.